0: and the USOPC in no way warrants that content of featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show.
1: Proving yourself not your work or whatever you want to prove to the world can only be made in the finals.
2: Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary
3: society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can win! You can win!
2: Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready?
3: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarrett, joined as always by my lovely co host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today?
2: Hello, Jill. It's finally fall. Yay, right? Yay! I know, it's really fall. They didn't fool around when it got cold.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it was really hot last week. I know. No, it's it's freezing. (laughs) You have to turn the heat on. Oh, man.
2: We're just never happy.
3: No, no. Um, I I do have to tell you something that we haven't talked about off the air, because I have a little confession to make. I'm afraid. I I watched some of these Olympic games.
2: You know, we talked about this, Jill, and you promised.
3: And I know, I know. Now you've gone back on your promise. Well, here's and, the deal. Here's uh, the deal. It's not, my, not my, it, it's not totally my fault. Listener Brian pinged me, and he said, Hey, have you been watching this break-in competition? The announcing is horrible. And I had just finished editing up the dulcet tones of Jason Bryant, and, like, how bad could it be? So I found some break-in. And oh my gosh, it was so bad. (laughs) It was so bad. And I'm calling out, I actually had to DVR break-in to find it. And I'm calling out Andrea Holland, because even though she has a lovely British accent, she said nothing about the sport that helped make it a a thing. Well, okay, I'm I'm sorry, let me backpedal on that. She said nothing about break-in that helped me understand it more. And isn't that the key to good announcing is helping you understand what the heck you're watching? But that helps. I mean, it helps, but she said nothing. She'd be like, they have really good musicality. They've obviously worked really hard on their set. I love oh, the she, fast well, movements. She had no clue what and she then
2: the was whole... doing there.
3: But don't they prep them? I mean, look at Jason Bryant, who did all that prep work. Wouldn't you, if you got the assignment for break find out what it's all about? And, I, and I'm and i going to go, I might give her a little bit because it was hard to find out because as Brian and I were watching it live on uh, Periscope, I was trying to find out the rules since we didn't get much information from Andrea. And we were watching the mixed gender competition. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to refrain from calling it a sport because I don't think that if you tack the word sport onto your activity that it makes it a sport. So dance sport, forget it. I'm no, it's not because even I am a champion in couch sport. There you go. I think that could be in the these Olympic Games next time. B, <laughs> help them out with their obesity problems, <laughs> right? You know, don't they talk about how kids are so obese these days? Well, if we have couch sport, not a problem anymore, right? They anyway, don't. get on that IOC. But anyway, so from what I could gather and in my little bit of research, which wasn't a lot, I will give you that, a competition was like four rounds. It's a battle. First off, it's a it's a battle oh yeah
2: so they're trying to be all street
3: well you have your b-boys and your b-girls and they're battling each other and i was watching mixed gender so it was uh, each team was a b-boy and a b-girl not just mixed gender but mixed country that doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense and i was reading book club claire's blog and she had watched some of the youth olympic games tennis and they also did mixed doubles that way too they mixed countries and then when you won they played the Olympic anthem for you.
2: Well, did they do that because some countries didn't have both?
3: No, they just put them. That was a, that was the thing. You put them to. I don't know. Well, that just violates Well, well the Andrew whole point. never told us how. They just said that was it was mixed gender. Yeah, that and just violates country.
2: the whole point of the Olympics. It's competing for your
3: country, right? So, upset about that. Oh, yeah, right. So. They have some, they don't tell you how it's judged. You have four rounds within a battle. And I guess they get like 90 seconds. Each pair have a maximum of 90 seconds. And they take turns either going one at a time or the the pair will go together. And part of the judging, you know, it's based on creativity, uh, physical quality, um, interpretive quality, artistic quality. And some of that is personality. And some of the personality means, like, I'm going to get up in your face, team on the side, and show you, hey, I got the moves and you don't.
2: Oh, Lord, help
3: me. Yeah. So there'd be a little bit of that. But, like, I have no idea, after watching Breaking for way too long, what is a good move versus a bad move versus a hard move when something doesn't work. I didn't know if popping and locking was good, or freezing and feeling was good. I I don't know. I don't know if a spin on your back is better than a spin on your head, or doing something on one hand and two hands and mixing it up. I I don't know.
2: Nor do you really really want to know.
3: Nor do I. Well, you know, when you're watching and you're trying to figure out, you're like, what the heck is going on there? And there's always a kind of point of pride when you can figure out an activity. Um, But... This I could not figure out. Yeah. I was and the only, the only, the only thing about it that was really slightly awesome was B-girl Ella from Austria, who I don't think she did well in the singles competition, but in the in the mixed pairs, I think she might have won gold. I don't remember, but she looked the part of nineteen eighties break-in. She had on like grey baggy sweatpant type things, this big baggy shirt that had her name on the bag, and she had this big red, curly, fro like hair, and it was pretty it was pretty
2: awesome. Oh dear. But yeah, and
3: then they, they, they compete under nicknames and you know, I live in the world of roller derby, so I understand roller derby names, but it was really weird to say to see like B boy bad maddie and that it Oy. was yeah. So I'm not impressed, except for what you will hear is that everybody was super excited about it. The venue was packed. It brought a lot of energy. So they're going to be putting that. And, you know, the venue was packed. But you know what? Tickets were free. And the venue. And it's a helped. good show. Yeah. You're watching a show. You're And you're talking maybe a thousand people were in the venue. Tops.
2: Okay. So- Probably less. Monster truck shows are also
3: always packed.
2: Doesn't right. mean they should be in the Olympics,
3: <laughs> right? So, Just saying. That is my and that is my experience with these Olympic games. I'm very sorry. Not sorry.
2: We'll have to bring this up in couples therapy that you <laughs> went back on your promise. I blame Brian. Brian. Don't go blaming other people for your failings, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> he just couldn't help Brian's himself. not responsible though. <laughs> so I'll take it up with him later
3: <laughs> anyway let's go back to Olympics because that's where the let's real is let's go back to happier thoughts yes right and w- speaking of happy thoughts we have this interview that we did this week it makes me so happy because it was so cool it was
2: it was a little too cool I I'm once again proud of us that we weren't like, "Oh my god, we love you." <laughs> I'm always proud of us when we don't embarrass ourselves.
3: Anyway, this week we talked with Dawn Harper Nelson, who is originally from East St. Louis, Illinois, and Dawn is a two-time Olympic medalist in the 100-meter hurdles. She won gold at Beijing in 2008 and silver in London at 2012. She's won four U.S. titles, four Diamond League titles, and silver and bronze at two world championships. In 2016, she tried to make her third Olympics and missed the team by 0.01 seconds after an injury during the competition. And just this year, she retired from competing and she ran her last race at the IAAF World Challenge meeting in Zagreb, Croatia. Our conversation with Dawn was so fascinating that we lost track of time. So we are actually splitting this one up into two parts. This week, Dawn tells us how she got into running and breaks down the components of a hurdles competition. Take a listen.
4: First off, it, you're born in East St. Louis. And for me, that I, I vividly remember when I watched LA 1984, which, of course, you don't remember. But Jackie Joyner, Kersey, and Al Joyner were from East St. Louis, and that was a really big deal. How Did they play a factor in your running existence growing up? Yes,
1: Jackie Gunner definitely did. When I started track at the age of 12, I don't remember if it was that the first summer or the second summer uh, that I was out with the East St. Louis Railers, that was the summer track team, and she came to the track, and she came out quite often, When she came to the track, you know, she's talking to us, you know, letting us know, like, whatever your dreams are, you know, work hard and, you know, things like that, and she pulls me aside, you know, and she says, you know, I see something special in you, you know, just keep working hard and keep going for it. And you know the kids are like, Wait, is Jackie just will wait me? Like is she talking to me? You know? So for me, you know, that was really just inspiring and just you know, like uh uh-huh, uh uh-huh all moments, just she's talking to me. You know, she sees something special with me. So for me, I mean, you know, that stayed with me and then being raised just at East St. Louis, you hear about Jackie joining a curse me and Al joining her all the time. You know, just the positive things, you know, that they've done and just hope that you can be, you know, just walk a little bit in their shoe steps. So that's what she said.
4: So you took up track at age twelve. How did you get into it, and specifically, how did you choose hurdles, or did hurdles choose you?
1: When I was eleven, I did gymnastics first because I was very, very busy. I was that kid like my mother said, I just bounced off walls. Like it had great in school, but as soon as school was over, I'm like, can we play all day every day? Like, why is anyone ever in the house? And so I was always that little girl also that was outside with the boys playing football and just getting, getting into everything. And so I did gymnastics, and I was really good, and I loved it. But, you know, in gymnastics, for me, it was, you know, they teach you to tumble. You do one tumble. You line up on the wall. One person comes off the wall. You do a tumble, and you go back and stand on the wall. You know, I'm like, I want to tumble more. You're know, like, let's do this. And so the next summer, someone recommended to my mom, like, you know, let her try track and field. You know, we weren't just set on gymnastics or just one sport at the time. So when I tried track, I just remember, you know, them lining us up and literally did this thing, just go as fast as you can. And that feeling was just so just freeing and it was fun. And then you're like, you're tired. You're like, oh, my God, this is so fun. And you rest and then you go again. So for me, that was just like track is for me. I want to do this. But at first I was a flat sprinter. And so I did the 100, 200, 400. Did not do the hurdles yet. This was ages 12 and 13. And I always got beat by the Saints and girls, and that drove me crazy. But I remember one summer I said, listen, I'm going to beat them, and they're never going to beat me again. And I did. I worked really hard, and I beat them. Going to the eighth grade, my coach, Gerald May, in the eighth grade at Clark, he said, I see something special in you. And I think that if you put your intelligence with the hurdles, he's like, your intelligence and your speed with the hurdles, you could be the best in the world. He said this when I was 14 years old. So the first time that I actually went to try the hurdles, um, I literally, so I go over and I go with my right lead leg, so that's the right leg in front, and it was hideous, it was horrendous, and he was like, there's no way a hurdle could ever be this bad. Like, he's like, this is not the vision that I had. So he tells me to come to him, and so I stand in front of him, and I, he tells me to turn around so I have my back to him, and he pushes me forward, and I catch myself with my left leg, and he said, oh, you're a left lead, and so then I go back to go over the hurdle, and it was night and day my technique was really good and he's like this is what I talked to would be like like oh my goodness and from that moment I literally was better than all the hurts that had been hurting for some years and so for me it was just it was love it was like love at first jump you know so. so are you left-handed no I'm not I do I do a lot of things Though I guess I'm left-handed like I wear my watch on with my right hand to wear it on your left if you're right-handed when you write, because it can get in the way I remember growing up, like family members and friends all like, You have your watch on the wrong hand. I'm like, But I don't want over there. And then my husband's left handed, and I do so many things like him. And he's like, You're supposed to be left handed. And I'm like, no, I'm not, though. No. So people always ask me that.
4: <laughs> you talk about your intelligence and the hurdles. What is necessary for hurdles that requires a smart runner?
1: Well, I, I think I was just someone, like, just on the team, I was someone that paid more attention to detail, even when we did do sprint stuff. You know, someone saying, you know, your toes should be, you know, pointed up this way or, you know, your arms should be this way. I was really like that kid in the corner, like, okay, so the arms must go like this. And, okay, I'm trying, you know, even when they're we're not quite doing it, I'm still on the side sampling stuff on my own, you know, and really trying to just break it down instead of, you know, maybe playing around and just being rough and just, like, ignoring it. You know, playing with your friends. I was that kid, like, wait, I give me this second, And I'm like, okay, so your hand goes like this and that and that. And so he just saw, you know, there's extra determination. And I caught on to things really quickly. I was someone that you pretty much could show me something once. And I did it really well the next time we tried it. So that's also been how I've been really through my whole career with hurdling. Like my coach, especially when I got to UCLA, when I would be working with Bobby Kersey and Jeanette Bolden, I just remember, you know, Bobby, it was something he could like. Dude, he could tell me, you know, you need to do your arm like this. and You need to do it like that in the next set. Like, I'm, I have it down, you know? So, just something like that. Being able to catch on quickly and really paying attention to detail and caring.
4: When we had talked before, you talked about how the hurdles is really multiple races in that 100-meter oh race.
1: Yeah. It is. So it is so much going on. Like, when you think of it, you it's so true about, you know, practice. You know, I say it doesn't make perfect. You know, better. Practice, yes, with the hurdles get better, I'm going to just use the term practice makes perfect because in that practice, you do it over and over again. So you run to like there'll be a practice where you work on your start just to the first hurdle over and over and over again. And then you'll work to, you know, three hurdles over and over and over again. that so practice, you know, you may do eight times to the first hurdle. And then, you know, the next practice, you'll do like five or six times to the third hurdle. Then you'll do five or six times to the fifth hurdle. And then, you know, so over and over again. So by the time you get to the hurdle rate, There are some things that you literally cannot think about, and it needs to be automatic. But there's, like, I've spent weeks and months thinking about this, so it's really ingrained in me. So to the first hurdle, you've done, I mean, just even in the block, there are certain positions that you have to literally, like, nail. Like, how high your hips get, the placement of your feet on the pads, the way your hands are on the ground, where your shoulders lean over the, the line where your head is down. These are just all things that need to be automatic, but it's something that you really worked on day in and day out at practice. And so that's why I say there's so many races within itself There's so many techniques that have to be done within itself. Then you have the different heights of each hurdler, so then that plays into the position of the block. That's why you'll see some people, you know, say somebody's block looks closer to the line, further that from the line, their head's down, somebody's head is up, and you're wondering, like, what all is going on there? It's like different heights, different weights, all of this plays into what it takes to do these ten hurdles ten different times because the beginning of the hurdles, the first three hurdles, you feel totally different than the middle four hurdles and then the last three hurdles. Just literally by the time you get to the last three hurdles, it's not really about who can go the fastest, it's literally about who can maintain and not break. Now, so you are five six, right? Right yes, I am five six, absolutely. So where does that fall in the range? Of hurdles, uh-huh. I would say that's like the average height of a hurdle. You okay. will have some that are a little taller. There is a such thing as, and I can't quite say, oh, this height is too tall for the hurdles, but you can get almost a such thing as too tall because then you'll run into problems of how close the hurdles are. But then you have issues if you are kind of too short because then, you know, the hurdles will feel further away. So there is a, if you will, a sweet spot. But then you'll have someone that's taller and maybe has shorter legs. So it's really about the deal and <laughs> how you work with your own body. So five six though no, typically is. I mean, you'll see a lot of us stand side to side. It's funny we will we'll come over and be like how tall are you? How tall are you? You know. So. Yeah, I could. I'm five feet tall. So you know the hurdles, it's like high jump for me. Yeah, that's my mom. It's so funny. She's like, I could have never. And I'm like, ah, maybe I don't know. Mom, you're a little short. You're like five. You're right. You might be right. You're right, you're right.
4: So, when you look at the, the race, like, how many, do you know, how, how many steps do you take between a hurdle and how, well, how many, what, once you start, how many steps are up to the first hurdle and then how many are in between each?
1: Well, the first hurdle, you take eight to the first hurdle. Now, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but sometimes some women have experimented with doing seven steps. Like Sharika Nelvis, when she first came out of college, her coach had switched her from eight, because she's a taller hurdler, mm-hmm. has longer legs. And so he said, you know, he felt like maybe it would be better for her to do seven steps. When you do seven steps, you really have to open your stride to the first hurdle. It's very, very powerful. So it's not, you'll see them, they won't look fast, but they'll look really strong. So typically it's eight steps. The majority of us, like all of us now, pretty much do eight steps. And then in between, it's three steps and then five steps off the last hurdle. Okay, I'm just trying to, I'm absorbing that and saying that is so precise. And Exactly, it really has to be. It literally, it has to be and there. Is a sweet spot for where your last step needs to be going into the first hurdle. And so, if you look typically about all of us, our last step, our eighth step, that hits before we take off over the hurdle, everyone's foot is placed and is about the same because you just, it's just you can't be too close. Like there's a certain that's why you sometimes see people crash because you kind of get caught up in the race if you're all really close getting out the blocks and. You know, it's like you get caught up in just racing, and you're like, well, we are not hundred hurdles. We still have hurdles, but you always have to race, but there's a sense of feeling yourself and feeling where you are. Now, if somebody's crashed, if someone crashes next to you, Mm -hmm. how hard is that not to throw you off? Oh, see, okay, so if they crash, that can be hard, especially if you're, like, side by side, because... Side by side, typically you both have kind of felt each other's rhythm. So, there's such thing as you're running, and you—this <laughs> is what your coach will sound like, hey, "This is the worst thing that can happen. You should get locked in someone else's rhythm because you want to beat this person." And it's, really, it's almost like you're not trying to; it's like a, it's like a comfort. Um, if you will feel yourself literally, one, two, three, one two, three, one, two, three, and what is you once you'll get caught up with them and you'll see that's why you'll see people go three, four hurdles together, you're like, How are they doing it? they are just locked in. But then you have to literally find a way to move some part of your body more aggressive than the rest of you. So, say you're running and you're locked in with someone, like I'll try and swing my lead off really aggressive to try and almost like shake stuff and say, Get out of this rhythm that you are with them. Because if they do make a mistake, then you feel like, oh, my God, like, I'm feel like you're making a mistake. You cannot be caught up in their rhythm. And it can be dangerous because our hurdles are almost touching each other. So if they hit their hurdle, sometimes it'll rock your hurdle. And we're like, we skim the hurdle so much that it will throw you off. So it can be very, very dangerous.
4: What do you do to get as close to the hurdle as possible? Because you just want to skim over it and not yeah. be, a, you know, like a racehorse that. Jump. right!
1: Trying to, you know, like said, get close to the hurdle. That comes with, you know, a sense of confidence because you can't be afraid. So it's fearless. That's why I say to me, the hurdlers are some of the most fearless people probably on the planet because you have to be a little like, what's wrong with you to want to run at ten hurdles as fast as you can? And say, I'm gonna stay as low as close as it possible. So I think a lot of that also comes with doing hurdle drills. When you do hurdle drills, you get comfortable with the hurdles. You get comfortable with feeling your own like this is about how high my leg needs to come to go over the top because, I mean, now I don't think about, oh, the hurdle. I don't have to really look at it to say, oh, it's this high or it feels like this. I know I know the feeling of my lead leg feels like it comes here and then I snap it back down. So I don't have to say, where is it? or You can almost hurdle, you know, almost semi-like with your eyes closed and not really looking at it because you know. Like as long as the hurdles there, one to three, I know it comes up, legs comes comes back down. So it's about, you know, like I said, doing hurdle drills, getting comfortable with your own body, and then you you just cannot be afraid. You cannot, because literally, you've taken one hurdle, two hurdles, three hurdles, but you're still not at your fastest, and you have to keep pushing it harder and harder and harder. I mean, literally, for like the rest of the hurdles. So you cannot be fearful.
4: One of the other things we talked about is the fact that even though it's a short race, you need a lot of endurance because you got to go Absolutely. through multiple rounds of, of the mm-hmm. same race. So what what do you, uh, what kind of endurance do you need, or what do you do to get that endurance?
1: Well, for me, I do a lot of training as if I'm like a 400 runner. And for some people, you know, I know some hurdlers. Hurdlers are kind of now starting. The ones that are racing now are getting a little more into it, where you'll do like 400, 450. Like I still do 600 meters, like at practice. Thing that I can and I mean, for 100 meter hurdles, you could say that's so unnecessary. But to me, it's also a mental thing because I know that's just how I've been trained. Since high school, I've done long workouts like that. Like even in high school, I did cross country. So for me, running long is just a part of, I get really strong there, then I feel like I can almost do anything when it comes to hurdles and sprints. Um, because it just, i have never get tight. And so for me, when I do work out such as 600s or five hundred, when I get to the hurdles, when we go to Olympic trials or we go to the Olympics, you know, you have three rounds. And it used to actually be four rounds. And so the first round, obviously, everyone feels good. You just like, you know, you just basically, if you're ready, like typically I am to so go like 12-3, you just jog through the first round. So if I go 12-7, 12-6, in the second round, you know, that's when you turn it up because you have to race for a good lane, but you may go like twelve five. And 12-5, if you haven't trained the endurance that you need, that can take something out of your legs. Because think about it only only like an hour 45 or an hour and a half later, you have to then probably go and try and run a personal best. So when you have to run a personal vest, Your legs cannot feel like they've really they need to like out there warmed up and not like yeah we just ran really fast in that second round, you know. And so for me, that also I know when I do 450, 500, 600, when I get to the finals. When I line up and I look at my competitors, I'm like, I know that you have not, there's no way you pushed your body before I pushed my body, you know? And so it's also a mental thing for me to say, I'm ready to go right now because my body is in the best shape of its life. I've pushed it to just barriers that, you know what I mean, no one else has and it's time to go. So I've just seen people that will run really good first two rounds and then get to the third round. And literally, I talked to them after the race and they're they're like, I I I I didn't have any top. I was say I didn't have any top. I mean, you can run 10 hurdles, obviously, but to say you need to hit gears in the race, like the gun goes off, you get out well, so then everyone, at the Olympics, everyone is going to be at the first hurdle, second hurdle, third hurdle, fourth hurdle, fifth hurdle. Then the race starts to develop, six, seven, eight, you know, who's going to make the mistake? Because you also have to mentally be prepared. And so, like I said, for me, when I do these hard workouts, mentally I'm ready to go. So if someone's with me at hurdles six and seven, I'm not thinking, oh, shoot, panicking. Like, what should I do? I'm like, I, my mind is sharp, and I know exactly what to do because I am ready for this race. Like, I'm no oxygen. I don't. I, mean, I feel like I even have oxygen. You know what I mean? So everything is just really primed and ready to go. And That's why I feel like it has to be in shape because those rounds, I have seen so many people that they get to the finals. And think about it. You can run a really good time in the first and second rounds, but no one makes a statement. And this is what my coach said. You cannot make any statement in the first and second round statements are only made proving yourself not your worth or whatever you want to prove to the world can only be made in the finals. so i'm always a- amazed at think at, at track and swimming both because they have the multiple rounds mm-hmm. and especially with something like hurdles where you're going so fast when you <laughs> feel the difference between say a 12 7 and a 12 5 it's amazing when you're primed are ready to go, one hundred percent. You can feel it. I remember in two thousand fifteen, I was at our USA National, and there was we did the first round. First round, I can say I ran like twelve seven. That's typically what I run. My family always laughs. They're like, "We go to your meeting, and we already know first round, she's going to go twelve seven. That's just what I do." In the second round, like I was feeling really good. I'm like, I am ready to go. And the gun goes off, and well, first I was in maybe the third team. Okay, so first round, went, I mean, first he went, second he went, and everyone was running, like, they were, like, 12-4, and then, like, a 12, What else? I think, like, two 12-4s, and they were wind-80, but I was, like, why is everybody running so fast? I'm, like, listen, only the second round, you know, I'm, like, everyone calm down, we have, you know, the finals are, like, an hour and a half, and I remember in my round, I had a younger athlete running, and I was, like, oh, he's going to go try and prove something, like, this is just, oh, you got to be kidding me, it's going to be pointless, and the gun goes off, and we're running. And we are once we're locked into each other's rhythm. And we were at hurdle five and six. And I said, this rhythm is too fast for a second round. And so I shut it down and give her first place. Because I I know, I think it was the top two two or three went to the finals. And I could tell I was in a comfortable second when I was going to shut it down. So I said, I'm going to give her that round. She ran 12.38. And I ran 12.40 something. And I was like... And I, knew, I, just knew I said this rhythm. I was like, "This is not going to throw up the rhythm. It's too fast. It's too fast." I said, "You just, you know, the rhythm at practice because, like once you do it so many times, you can tell. Okay, my turnover is okay. I'm taking that hurdle really fast. I would came up fast. you to slow down. I, you know, for rounds. And so, like I said, I ran like a twelve four. And we came back for the finals, and that athlete was, she was gas. She had nothing left. I was like, "Yeah, you went twelve three an hour ago," and I'm like, "That was. I mean, it was a huge PFR for her. So it was just like that wasn't." for the second round. And it's really that is what you need to understand and learn your competitors of, hey, this person's ready to go here, this person's ready to go there. This is what it's gonna take for the final. And so that's why you need to know in a rhythm, I'm at twelve six, I'm at twelve seven, I'm at twelve this or that. And two thousand twelve, in the second round, Bobby told me that I need you to go out there and PR. You need to go and run twelve four. Uh, I had my PR was forty seven at the time. He said you need to go twelve faster than twelve forty seven. And so I go out there. No one else is going to go that fast because he did the finish going to be extremely fast. So he said you need to wake your body up. I go out there, gun goes off, I'm running, and I saw that this it right here. And I'm, I'm, still just locked in, like rhythm, arm. It felt like practice. It felt like, it felt like I was cruising, but it was because I was ready. And I went 12:46. And I remember I crossed the line. I said, "This is about 12:4." And I crossed the line. I was like, "I am. I can feel what a 12:4 feels like." I could not believe that I was ready to go that fast. You know, so. You train so much, and you know, once your coach, you know, really primes you and has you ready to go, you should be able to tell what it is. I feel like if you're an elite elite athlete, you should not always, you should not always look up at the clock and always surprise you. should say, no, I knew exactly what that was going to be.
4: What do you do in between rounds, then, to, like, recover and prepare for the next one? If you only have an hour and a half or an hour 45, and you got to get your muscles mm-hmm. calmed down and then prepped up again, what do you do?
1: Right. Well, for, so, so with the three rounds, the first day, you only have one round. So you get your round in, and you meet, what I do is immediately I go and get my ice bath. Well, I get my flush from my massage the guy that I've flown out. I'm, so he rubs me out. gives me a light massage. Adjusts me to make sure I'm in line because you have turtles. Your hips are always going to be off. So he aligns me, so I'm good to go for the rest of the day. I get into an ice bath. I go home. I put my legs up. Uh, well, it's, it's, the reason why I say home is because the last couple of times I've done an Airbnb. So if it's an Airbnb or a hotel, I go back, I put my feet up, my husband goes to get my food the rest of the day, pretty much off my feet. I'm a bum, getting your mind ready for the next day. The next day, you have your first round. Um, I've already laid out my clothes. I'm prepared. <laughs> and so get up in the morning, I eat my oatmeal, banana, get to the track about at least two and a half hours before you run your first round. Now you only have an hour and a half in between. So what I do is I... It's, so when you, after you run around, depending on the type of athlete you are, if you have Olympic medals, always want, they always want to do interviews with you. After the first round, because you have the rest of the day, I will do an interview. But so then after the next day, so when I have the two rounds, after the first one, I always tell them I will come back after the finals because literally I only have an hour and a half. Me standing on my feet for 10, 15 minutes to talk to you guys is way too much. So I always tell them. They just know that. So it's like a funny, we do a wave, and I'm like, sorry, guys, I can't talk. Walk through the uh, media zone. You go. I get back on the table with my boots. He works on my legs. He holds them up pretty much just to, you know, drain the blood, kind of get your legs to uh, flush themselves. He adjusts me, make sure that I'm good to go. I, so I just, and he just lay around until about 45 minutes until it's time to go, I and mean, then you get up. You really you don't do your full warm up because on the hour and a half, your body's not completely calming down because your adrenaline is still going, because your brain's still going. And so I sit around, 45 minutes to get up, start doing some strides, do a little bit of drills. I go out maybe over the one hurdle once, and then go over like three hurdles, maybe twice, and then you go back to the car room. Because the car room, they want you back in there like 25 minutes ahead of time. So you're going to give yourself, you know what I mean, like 25 to 30 minutes to do another shakeout. So, yeah, that's why you always have to play it by ear of what you feel like you need. And you'll see if some athletes get up earlier than others, that's why you have to have a system put in place for yourself because if you don't know what's going on or don't know how you're going to feel, you'll get caught up and start doing someone else's routine because some people, you'll see some people walking around and talking to people and doing whatever. You're like, oh, maybe I can do that. It's like, no, maybe your body needs to relax, you know what I mean, and not be up for this whole hour and a half because you have to go and probably nine times out of ten run a personal that. So you go, you just sit around, and you get back up around, like I said, 45 minutes ahead of time, call room is 20, 25 minutes before. And How <laughs> nerve-wracking is that call room? Um, it can be very, 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 very nerve-wracking, <laughs> and I say that because in there, this is a moment where you literally can see the faces of who is, I would say, in the way of, you know what I mean, what's your goal, your dream, your destiny. So You've imagined this moment over and over and over again. You kinda know who the athletes that are ready to go. And then you have some that maybe made a mistake and, you know, didn't run like they wanted so they're not there, or the ones that stepped up and you're like, Oh, it's some new faces in here But there is a sense of everyone is it's just game time. You can just see it's like you can cut the tension with the knife. No one wants to lock eyes. It's amazing. You can have your best friends be in there and you're almost like, She needs not look at me. Like we are not friends right now. You know, and the officials, they even know, they're like, ladies, we're not going to talk too much. We're just going to let you know. And like, you know, we're going to sit here for 10 minutes. 10 minutes, we're going to get you out. You're going to be able to do your, uh, you know, blowout. we are like, all right. You know, so no one's talking. You'll have people sitting around, Some put, like laying on the ground, put their legs up. Some people still doing drills in there. But I mean, it's almost like for me, I really just kind of, I, once I've done my warm up, there's not much more for me to do. I don't need to jump around a lot. So I'm sitting in a chair. If I could find one in a corner. I'm sitting in the corner, and I just have my hand down, and I'm just really just kind of replaying what I want to do in the race. And just honestly, just thanking God that I'm there. I'm like, because it's just each time, it is not given to anyone to be there, not even in the finals, you know. So, you look at history, and you see how many people miss finals by whatever, you know, and or, you know, just the favor to be there. And you're like, oh, I didn't think I heard, or whatever the situation is. So, every time, I always have to take a moment, you know, just to thank God and say, I just thank you for the gift that I have and the fact that I'm here again. And then I'm like, no, let's go get it, let's go get you know?
4: So. Is it hard to turn off the last race, the, the, the round fr- prior to the finals?
1: The semi-round?
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, like, when it's do you enough. turn off, like, okay, this is over and I'm I'm moving on, and, and, like, train your brain to not think about, like, oh, I did this wrong or I did this right kind it's of kind thing? Of,
1: it's, um, it's kind of... Um, it's actually something that kind of, okay, I would say almost replays over and over again until you get back to your coach and he really talks to you. Because initially, like one time, run, as soon as I run around, you know, like I said, I'm not talking to me. I go to the back. My guy works on me. And then I'm laying down. My coach hasn't talked to me. You know, he's probably walking. My coach, he does a lot of laps around the track. and walking, and walking. walking. So he's probably, gonna you know, thinking, like, just through the race of what he wants to tell me and the fine-tuning. And so for me, you know, of course, if the race went well, you know, I'm thinking that's exactly what I want to do, you know, next round. I mean, the finals, you know, I just, I just want to, you know, like, maybe get out a little harder or I want to do this a little harder. But you know, if it goes, you know, bad, then you're probably thinking, you know, like, okay, okay, what was I feeling? Like, where, like, where did I feel like I didn't have it? So then when my coach comes to say something to me, I can tell him. You know, like, my style was good, but I feel like my middle, you know, I just didn't have it. So you're trying to piece together what information you need to give your coach, and your coach is piecing together what information he needs to give you. So you're replaying that race until he comes to you, probably about the 45, for me, about the 25 minutes before. But then I really tell myself don't overthink because if I'm ready to go and I just made a mistake, and I'm telling myself, you train for this. Don't act like you do this every single time, so don't make this, Somebody that you just round and made a mistake, like it the end all. I was like, no, this race is about to run. You can make the correction. You know, so don't make it bigger than what it is. So when my coach comes over, then I just drop everything that, you know, has been going on in my head. And I'm listening to what he has to tell me because I've been trusted, you know, him with he can look at me and tell me exactly what I need. So whatever he tells me to do, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And so then I have that confidence and that comfort back just around with that. You know, you just like oh, okay, cool. That's right. I did feel that. So yeah, that's what we're gonna do. Or if it went, you know, really well, he's like that's that's what I want you to do next time. He's like just no hold far You are just all out. He's like give me everything you got. Blah 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 blah, and then lean at the end. So that's typically how it would go. With my mindset.
4: How how long, like in years wise, did it take you to find that rhythm that you needed to get to the top of your game?
1: Yeah, we uh, said how long did it take? I would say. It really took me to be comfortable and know that I had it until after 2008. And then in 2009, it was still, because, I mean, 2007, I didn't have a contract. So I was working three jobs and running track, And I had went over and I was doing, at the time, we had a lot more races than we have now. So I was doing kind of like the B-C circuit. So there's like, a, well, we did like an A circuit, you know, the Diamond Leagues and the, you know, big races like that. You kind of have like the B circuit and the C circuit. And at that time, you could go there. There'll be small races in Italy, you know, small races in Germany. It was just, you go all over. And you can make a pretty good living running at these smaller races in these small towns. And so I was doing that in 2007. And I remember I finally got to the point where I ran 1267. And it was just like, oh, my God, it's like in elite week time. Like, oh, I could be in a race, you know. But you run that line and you train for it, but you're still like, how will I do when I line up, you know, with the big dogs? So in 2007, I had my shot where I ran my first big race in Stockholm. And I ran there and I got fourth. My coach was sitting with Nike and they said, okay, they've shown, shown me, you know, that she can compete, you know, with the elite athletes. So 2008, you know, I had my knee surgery on February 29th, 2008. Then I still made the team. And you go to the Olympics and you win. But through, through the rounds after 2008 Olympics, it was still literally, I felt like a little baby. I was looking to their father, who is my coach, like, what am I supposed to do now that I'm here? And even though you know, I've got run hurdles after hurdles after hurdles, when you're there, you know that there is something more that I have to pull from myself that I haven't. And I knew that my coach Bobby Kersey had been there. I mean, he's been there. I think he had since at least 84. He's been to every Olympics and gotten at least one gold medal. he got multiple medals, but every single time he got at least one. So I'm like, you know what to do here. What am I supposed to be doing? And so my joke is always, I feel like if he said jump, I said how hot. Like, I'm like, I'm doing it. So there, you know, I found myself really just, I mean, like, really, it was like I was training through and working through each round because there was always instructions that he had. Like, the first round, he's like, look, he's like, you really just have to go out there and shake off the jitterbugs. Like, you know, you train, you know how to hurdle, you be fine, blah, blah, blah. The second round, he's like, I need to go out here, and I really need you He's like to win your heat because you need a good lane. But he's like, you need to go about 12-6, this and this and this. And I go out there, and I'm winning my heat. And I clip a hurdle, and I end up getting second with twelve sixty seven. I think Diamond Cherry ended up winning the heat. And she ran like 12 And And I was like, first of all, I was like, Man, my coach, dude, the times I need to run was just crazy. You know, but so then I came back to the finals, you know, and I'm looking at him like, oh, my God, we made it to the finals. What do I do now? like, okay, so, you know, talking through, he's like, I want you to get out there. He's like, Don, you have to get out, but you have to run with blinders on. Because he said, he's like, in the Olympics, you just never know what could happen. So he said, I want you to run like a horse with blinders. He said, I don't want you to know what's happening to your left or to your right. And it's so crazy that he played out the way he did. And he's like, I don't want you to know until you lean across the line. I don't want you to know how you've done until then. And so, you know, for me, literally, I was just like, okay. So that's what people always ask me, like. You know, did you know what happened? I'm like, no, my coach said, I don't care. Like, the whole place will blow up. You don't know it until you lean across the line, you know. And so it's just for me, like, I, I walked through each and everything he told me because I really felt like, I felt like a baby that said, okay, let's put in front of the right foot, right? So then when it came to 2009, I felt a lot more confident in how I was running. And I knew, I kind of do, like, my style, my strength. Which would be the ending, but you still—I feel like 2009 was still always that. Like, I cannot keep this up. You know, okay, 2008 well, you know—I like, you know, did the 2008. It's like I did on the big stage, but now you have to go over and over and over again. And now you're getting paid all this money to come, and now I have all these pressures. You know, before no one knew who I was, no one cares. Like, I oh, there's that one girl I think, uh, you know, from UCLA. Now I'm here, you know, and I have to compete at this level. 2009, like I said, I'm trying to find my footy, so by 2000, I guess 2010, I didn't run for didn't have knee surgery. But uh, in the 2009, I really felt like I kind of knew my style, like I said, my strength. 2011, it was just, I, it, you literally, turn it, to, literally you turn it to a different person because you line up and you know what you're capable of and you're like, I know I can win this race. The other ones are like, I know I can win it and I hope I do. But these are just like, no, I'm supposed to win this, so I'm going to win. This. And that gives you a totally different um, and you're
3: ready. Thank you so much, Dawn. Next week, we will talk specifically about Dawn's Olympic experiences and her attempt to be a three-time Olympic medalist. And I'm not going to lie about next week because there were tears. There were tears. I, yes. I don't know. I knew I got a little teary. And uh, I, I was I glad tear. we couldn't. See each other. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that would have been much worse. That would have been so. But it's a fascinating story and one you won't want to miss. So be sure to tune in next week. Um, you can catch Dawn on social media at DHarp100mh. So that's a D Harper or DHarp 100 meter hurdles. Uh, she's that on Insta and Twitter. And she is Dawn Harper Nelson on Facebook and her website is donharpernelson.com. So yeah, I when when we were doing some research and I saw she was born in East St. Louis, Illinois, I immediately went back to all of that coverage on East St. Louis and, you know, just how the joiners came up from East St. Louis and just wowed everybody.
2: What is in the water there?
3: I don't, it's Mississippi. It's by the oh, Mississippi. It's because they they make some fast people out of that town. They do make Holy fast cow. people. It was so cool though, because I just it was it's cool to see that tradition continue. Yes, with her. But oh, she's kind of the the second
2: generation. Yeah, right. Or because they were so much older. Oh, right. I, I know. Oh. I love it. But she was fantastic to talk with. Yeah. And I I don't know if you caught. She posted. She did it. She mentioned the TED talk. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if. if we we are going to include that piece and she posted some of it on instagram i can't wait till she posts the whole thing she's fantastic
3: oh yeah i know i saw some of that on twitter too so yeah. yeah i'm really excited we'll we'll have a link to that in the yeah. show notes um but yeah she is so funny and i would say you know it's like so real like very matter-factual like this is what i have to do yes. and i'm gonna do it and just Having this mindset and focus and a very matter of fact approach to life. I mean, I would love to go watch her, like, be there and see her on the line compared to other competitors. You know, you could be on the line, you'd look around the room or be on the starting line and know who had done the work and who hadn't. Like, wow. And they're all, like, at the world class level. So
2: I watched the two races. Mm Mm-hmm. And to think that any of those women, how they look physically, were not ready. Right. Is amazing. Because they could break me in half with like two fingers. These are some (laughs) strong, (laughs) powerful women.
3: Oh, man. But yeah, that was it was great. Thank you so much, Dawn, for spending so much time with us. And we are excited about next week's episode, too, because that's another the the stories she has are just they're great. On to our Team Olympic Fever update oh i'm supposed to yell tofu (laughs) i forgot i forgot my job that's right we have a small slice of tofu this week um first off the dulcet tones of jason bryant are heading over to budapest to announce at the world the wrestling world championships october 20 through 28th and it looks like you can stream them at united world wrestling and we will have a link to that in the show notes And then also Finn Sisu, which is a ski and sauna shop in Lauderdale, Minnesota, is doing a Keegan Randall-inspired fundraiser. So if you buy a pair of pink Keegan Yoko ski poles, they will donate 50% of the proceeds to Boarding for Breast Cancer, a youth-focused breast cancer education and prevention foundation which is Keegan's favorite breast cancer charity. So the polls range from 80 bucks to 275 bucks. And Fin Sisu says that they sold every pair in the shop. They'd give the charity a check for close to 10 grand. So that's very nice. So we will have a
2: go ahead. I was just going to say that uh, the post Keegan has been been making. She's she's doing well. Good. So we are pulling for her.
3: Yes. So we will have a link to that in the show notes as well. And quick update from Tokyo 2020. The road race courses for the cycling individual time trial and Paralympic road race course, they've been set and they look really cool. The The course is going to be at the foot of Mount Fuji. And it's also going to incorporate the Fuji International Speedway for the start and finish. So you have your stands already there for the start nice. and finish. And then they most of the races will leave the speedway area and go do a lap around the base of the mountain, kind of thing, in the in one side, and then go back and finish in the speedway. And so
2: we will get the trademark pullout shot,
3: right? Oh, you of cannot answer The little ask tiny cyclist and the giant mountain. That I know. That's pretty sweet. It's gonna be beautiful. I'm sure every everyone's going. Yes, it's gonna be great. Some sad news from the world of the IOC, and that is that IOC member and secretary general of the International Basketball Federation, Patrick Bauman, died suddenly at the Youth Olympic Games in Buenos Aires. And he was there and he had a heart attack. Oh. And it was sad. And he was really young. He was like 51. Oh. Oh, you know the other thing I hated about Breakin?
2: That it gave Patrick Bauman a heart attack?
3: Uh, no, not I don't well we don't know that for sure. Um I shouldn't joke about that. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry, that was <laughs> that, that was, was
3: Yes. That uh, was, yes, Patrick was fifty one. But was, the other yeah. the other thing about break in that I didn't like online qualifiers. The first round what of qualifications I... to get into this competition at the youth Olympic Games were online videos. I'm oh, not come kidding you. On. And of course it's seen as innovative. No, that's scene
2: cheating and because you can record it as many times as you want. Part of being an Olympian is you have to perform
3: at that moment. Apparently that's not, second part take. Of, it's not part of being a youth Olympian. Ugh. I think there are qualifiers beyond that. Like Then they had battles that... Um... This is not American Idol. <laughs> Online <laughs> qualifier. <laughs> then they had in-person qualifiers after that. And then the approximately hundred b boys and b girls uh, went to the Just world stop youth saying That—that's what they call them. They call them b boys and b girls. I know, but
2: I'm sorry, <laughs> you are a midwestern woman.
3: Stop saying b boy. <laughs> I Think I have a new goal, and that's to be hired as the announcer for breakin.
2: <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like you have to meet too high of a standard. <laughs>
3: You don't. You don't. You really don't.
2: And you don't even need to know anything about the activity.
3: That's right. Anyway, back to back to our sad news. So, yes, Patrick Bauman sadly passed away. He was actually thought, uh, inside circles thought, that he might have become IOC president one day because he's been leading FIBA for so long. He's been an IOC. Uh, he'd been leading FIBA for 15 years. He'd been an IOC member since 2007 one of his big initiatives was popularizing 3 on 3 basketball and it was in the the youth olympic program it's in the olympic program for tokyo and he's one of the big people who pushed that idea so apparently i think that's been popular too i don't know haven't been paying attention but but it's very sad i mean that yeah. was really shocking sad news so our thoughts are with his family and friends and colleagues a uh, pretty big loss yeah so For us, we're going to have our book club meeting soon. Are you reading? Are you reading?
2: I have moved on. I have gotten my copy and I am reading.
3: Okay. And that is Running For My Life by Lopez LeMond. And you can, uh, it's been out for a little while, so you can get it at bookstores and your local libraries. And if you like audiobooks, consider going to audibletrial.com slash fever And when you sign up for a 30-day free membership, you can get a free download. And you might choose "Running for My Life" by Lopez Lamont. So we will be getting Book Club Claire back in here soon and talking with her. I'm really excited because Claire is great to have on the show. I know I love Claire. So and also don't forget that uh, if you like what you hear here, consider being a patron. Uh, we are at Patreon, and that our our site is Patreon.com/slash Olim Fever, and we have a lot of different. Levels of membership and different uh, giveaways for our patrons. Any patrons, any monies from patrons and merch sales, which we are at tpublic. dot com. The merch store is Olim Fever. Those all help us keep the show going because there are a lot of other expenses. It takes a lot of time to research people, get interviews, uh, conduct the interviews, and put the show together. So any. Any kind of money that we can get to help offset that is greatly appreciated. And also, we do have a Facebook group, which is growing. Very excited. We've been having fun. We have been having fun there. So if you go there, you'll be able to hang out with your people and chat Olympics. And you might get an early look at what's coming up in our shows. And some very funny opinions on uh, a few few things. (laughs) Just leave it there. I guess I got to go to the group now. Yeah. To see what's going on. And as always, we would appreciate it if you would tell your friends about the show, share the show on your social and let people know this exists because we know there are more Olympic fans like you out there and we love to get them in our community. On that note, I think it's good for another week.
2: I'm I'm just exhausted watching Dawn do the hurdles.
3: Really? Are You're exhausted because, okay, so I saw, I'll have to put this up on the show notes too. I saw a video from Shape Magazine. Did you see this one? No. Okay, so she's talking, it's it's inspirational and she's talking about hurdles and approaches. But, and they have, while she's doing the narrative, they're having clips of her training and it's got all these hurdle exercises in it. And I just want to run down to the local track because I know they have hurdles. I don't know if they're still out, but I just want to do some of those now. Not jump over the hurdles. I haven't been able to jump over a hurdle in ages.
2: I can't jump over a hurdle because it's like chest high for me.
3: (laughs) I mean, I would have to dive over a hurdle. Dive rolling over hurdles. That would be a good one.
2: Could add that to the Youth Olympics.
3: There you go. I bet they're up for it.
2: If it gets the B-boys going.
3: (laughs) Well, on that note, I guess we should call it a day here. Yeah, I think so. I think I've
2: insulted my uh, my friends enough. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. On that note, we'll wrap it up for this week and we'll catch you back here next week for more Olympic stories. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever
0: at com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837 That's 530-70-FEVER we're on Twitter at olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. You are a Midwestern woman. Stop saying B-boy.